Hey listeners, welcome back to another exciting Sip of Cocoa podcast. Uh, and joining us as always is a guest far more interesting than ourselves, which I'm sure is why you're here. Uh, <laughs> today, we're talking to somebody, uh, co-creator and writer of Hackslash and Revival, contributor to countless uh, chaos books and a bunch of fantastic uh, creator-owned stuff. Uh, also, several books at DC, currently writing Nightwing. Uh, and recently announced in the upcoming Aftershock Comics book, Brilliant Trash, uh, Tim Seeley. Also somebody who I want to point out has the unique uh, credit of having both written and drawn for Dynamite's Army of Darkness comic. <laughs> this is true, yeah. Well, How you doing? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on, especially this early in the morning. We appreciate it. No problem. So uh, let's talk about beautiful trash or brilliant trash. I'm sorry, brilliant trash, which is a we're is a all great clearly name. waking up. Yeah, we're all clearly very <laughs> awake this morning. I apologize for my loud coffee sipping noises, or excuse me, cocoa sipping noises. Got to push that brand. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what can you tell us about brilliant trash? Uh, it is a science fiction cyberpunk superhero comic. Uh, it's kind of takes place in the relatively near future where uh you know the the idea that journalism spreads news has kind of been replaced by the idea that journalism spreads confirmation of whatever you believe is already true and uh the main character is this woman named kennedy and she's sort of a buzzfeed type writer where she pretty much just writes top 10 listicles and celebrity crap and uh (laughs) Um, collects you know links to whatever and she's given this story that's like the biggest story uh in the world and she sort of she's on the run immediately when she receives the story and kind of takes us through this world in which uh the main um conspiracy now is that there's a company that has the ability to give people superpowers but it takes days off their lives every time they use them so and the more powerful you are the less days you have um, so it's basically, you know, uh, everyone in the world having the ability to be a god, except it kills you. And so this kind of follows her. She's being chased by this med tech company, and we see all these people involved in this this conspiracy. Sounds brilliant. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> wow, that's a that's a great description. You're covering a lot of different topics. Yeah, I wish I had a nice, simple, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, but I mean. I guess if the if I have to go for the simple thing, it's sort of like, you know, the cyberpunk, you know, William Gibson thing meets uh, a sort of superhero world. Um, but it's definitely sort of my, my some of my favorite kind of sci-fi is the stuff that takes place. You know, it's very much about the, the world we live in uh, instead of you know some far off future that's that's kind of an extrapolation of. Um, larger human themes this is like picking up really you know uh, uh, contemporary modern issues and extrapolating what they are going to be and i think it's like you know we live in a world obsessed with superheroes and and politics and people hating each other it's like well what, what can we combine into make that into a story and you know i love the cyberpunk sort of stuff the william gibson shadow run kind of stuff and it gives me a chance to do like a sort of snarky RoboCop kind of humor uh, about what happens tomorrow. 
That's awesome. There yeah. are a couple preview pages out out for this, um, and I gotta say the the art is definitely fitting of that of that cyberpunk label. Like it is beautiful it is. and colorful, and these character designs are awesome. Yeah, it's uh, this lady named Priscilla Petrides, uh, and she is when we first got her. You know, she was she's relatively new. This is one of her first full books, but already, you know, she's getting. She gets better. She's on issue three right now, and it looks so amazing. And she's already going to do um, a DC thing, you know. So she, I'm going to have to fight to keep her for the, <laughs> the rest of the series. How many issues are we looking at for the first arc? The first arc is six issues, um, and you know it's it's ongoing. Um, but this kind of sets up the world. This 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 had this first arc is really focused on you know revealing this. Um, conspiracy in the world they live in part by little piece by piece awesome um what what went into the decision to take it to aftershock well that actually they asked me um i worked with mike martz at uh dc when he was doing batman and he and i always got along really well and when they first started doing their stuff they they kind of reached out to people that the editors had worked with um so mike asked me if i had something uh, so I, I pitched him a couple of things, but this was something that uh, really trash was a book. I, my brother and I had come up with uh, one night we were sitting in a bar talking about, uh, you know, how weird the world was getting. And we came up with this idea and, you know, within a couple of days, I pitched it to Mike when he asked for ideas. And this is the one he liked the most. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much, you know, it comes directly from all these conversations I had with my brother who is a comic book writer and a fine artist in his own. So um, he's a great guy to bounce ideas off of, and he's been helping me uh, write this in the middle of having to write a whole bunch of other stuff. So this helped me out a lot. <laughs> nice. Uh, How did you come up with the title, Brilliant Trash? Uh, <laughs> this was, The hardest part about this book was the, coming up with the title. And we had a list, a huge list. Uh, but for, Brilliant Trash is actually the lyrics... Uh, part of the lyrics to a song by the band Machines of Loving Grace. Uh, it's Burn Like Brilliant Trash at Jackie's Funeral, uh, which is, they're a pretty high concept industrial band from the 90s. But I always loved that title. Uh, but this actually, it actually relates to the word, the title Brilliant Trash actually sort of relates to the overall theme uh, in a kind of cool way. So oh, we end up going cool. with that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say that it definitely like evokes the the ideas of of, you know, like clickbait journalism and and also the the whole sort of narrative mechanism of taking, you know, superheroes and making them a part of the uh I mean certainly I guess I don't know what your motivation behind uh incorporating that element in the story was, but it's it does feel like uh, as much as like we're all nerds and we love to see the shit that we like be like heavily celebrated, it's also like uh, as uh, politics become more and more sort of uh, frustrating and depressing and constantly omnipresent, uh, there's uh, such an attachment in the popular media to like these very convenient black and white good and evil characters. And I'm always sort of paranoid that that's a destructive Bradburyan path to go down. That's, dude, that's a better, that's a great, go with that. That's a great. <laughs> Put that well, on the I, cover. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. I think the, you know, this, um, one of the things I like about that title is it does allow for some interpretation. 
and we use it in the story in a couple of ways. One of which is you know describing the this um, this kind of journalism, this you know clickbait sort of crap where it's just like you know this is what this actress looks like now, or just that kind of crap that's sort of designed to be trash and pick you pick some kind of real base part of you that can't help but to partake it. We also use in the story the this woman, Lady Lastword, who's this sort of first superhero, um, is talking and she says, you know, describing what this the world to come and she says, uh, that, you know, all these people will take to the sky like Icarus and then they'll they'll burn and fall to the ocean like brilliant trash. So that's the Nice. That's our big, very literary uh, <laughs> connection. To yeah, that that's title. that's kind of how I took it. Was I was thinking of like the superhero, you know, buy buy your superhero power today kind of uh, theme, and it being like, you know, you can pay to be brilliant, but as it takes days off your life, eventually you'll just be yesterday's trash. Hey, burn. That's awesome. Yes, do that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> We're just giving you poll quotes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I have a question that's unrelated to this book, um, but uh, you are, uh, you're you currently writing Nightwing, and you've been writing Dick Grayson for a while now, um, and you, uh, Tom King, who's now on Batman and several other fantastic books, uh, deservedly getting praise, um, you co-wrote uh, the Grayson series with him, uh, yep. which I thought, I, I don't know, I just always like seeing that character continue to like grow and have different kind of like identities. Cause he's that rare DC character that's actually been allowed to. Um, yeah. So I was just curious what uh, went into the decision to, to do like the secret agent Dick Grayson character and what like the nature of your collaboration with King was on that book. Uh, well, so the original, they were, but I was working on uh, Batman Eternal with uh, Mike and Katie and uh, at DC. There was all this sort of kicking around. We need to do something new with Nightwing. Um, so they, at some point, I got a call from Katie that just said, "Hey, what would you do with Dick Grayson?" And I was like, "Oh, that's, that's something I could think about." And she goes, "Oh, wait, just so you know, we're gonna make him a spy." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> so like, what um, would you do? But make sure it's this very specific thing. <laughs> yeah, and they just said like, we don't. She just said. We don't really know what it's about. We just think he he's a spy. He's not a superhero. Uh, the world thinks he's dead, and he should use a gun however you think he should use a gun. So um, so then, you know, I just took the – I think I took the weekend. It was like – I think it was around Valentine's Day. I just took the weekend, and I couldn't really think of anything. But then I had sat uh, – Chris Burnham, the comic book artist, yeah. used to sit right next to me. Uh, at our studio, and I saw him always drawing that spiral symbol, and I thought that it was kind of cool. Uh, so I went back and read all the Batman Incorporated stuff, and thought it would be a perfect through line and connected to Batman to have it be that Dick works for Spiral. So came up with this pitch um, that incorporated like a lot of the sort of early elements that we used for Grayson. I turned it in, and I didn't hear from them. But then I got a call, and they said, "Hey, we love this. We want to do it." And then it was like, oh, but by the way, we also want you to work with this other guy because we liked his pitch too, and he used to be an actual spy, so we think that that would be really interesting. It's like, what? You know, that's just not something anyone has ever said to me, like, hey, you're hired, but you have to work with someone else. Um, But, you know, I think Tom had come in with a a pitch that was thematically right and very authentic, and um, 
you know, they just told told us to work together and figure something out. And, you know, luckily we got along immediately. We kind of figured out um, this, that we had the same theme in mind, uh, even though we had different details. And then we just, you know, made it work. Like the, we talked on the phone for a bunch of hours. I wrote the first issue while Tom was writing the second one and the third one with, you know, basically the same thought in mind. We were already late when we started. So um, we just, you know, worked parallel to each other and, I think she was the third and the fourth one he was writing. And then, you know, when we came back down to it, we looked at both scripts. We moved some elements around so that they tied together and there was some continuity through it. And we got those first four scripts, I think, done and then went back to getting on the phone and we plotted out five through 15, I think, um, and just kind of switched back and forth. Like I would do one, he would do one, I would do two, he would do two. And then we would go back through each other's scripts and make little notes and say, I think he should say this, whatever. Um, and we were a unified front. I don't think we ever disagreed on anything uh, because I think we both really knew the character very well, but and we both knew that this was the right choice for it. So there's not really anything to fight about, but uh, yeah, I think we ended up making a book that was unique. It was not what either of us would have made by ourselves, um, but it ended up, I think resonating because of that and, you know, I mean, we, we got all the notes that DC said to get in there. They said, you know, make him spy. and he, The world thinks he's dead, and he uses a gun. And then we just we made our version of what that meant. You know, he used a gun, but he just threw it at people's faces and stuff. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, I, and I, yeah, I think in the end, we both found it really educational. I mean, Tom is an amazing writer. He focuses on um, sort of giving everything a unique hook and, and messing with the format of comics. Like, he's really a formalist. Um, and I learned a lot from him and I think, you know, it was like his, one of his first gigs. So I think he benefited a little bit to see how to crack out a script quickly and, and, you know, how formatted it so that it communicates easily with the artist and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think we, we ended up both really benefiting from it and, you know, now he's doing stuff on his own. He's doing great stuff. People love him. Uh, I got a great friend out of it. So I think, uh, you know, definitely it was a, weird experiment that worked out for the best cool yeah it's 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 cool to hear that um that it was such a such like a unique situation that brought that book about it kind of felt like it reading it um just because it wasn't i really thought that it was cool to see that kind of cold war spy archetype that media has not let go of even though it's not like comics love to take those sort of irrelevant archetypes and, and, and keep them around. And certainly like Marvel has a lot of spy characters and there's a lot of great spy books that like image and stuff, but didn't seem like something DC had. And so it was cool to see that, that world within that framework and through Dick Grayson, who's like the ultimate kind of, uh, I don't know, like fan service. Yeah, he is right. Because, cause he's like, Hey reader, don't you want to be Batman's buddy? Don't you want to live like every kid's fantasy other than the dead parents? Like he, you know, he was in the circus and he was trained by Batman and yeah. Did you get For sure? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, I mean, and one of the things we always talked about was that Dick is always the entry point character, right? He's always the, mm-hmm. he's the one that gives you the tour of, of whatever world he's in. So it made sense for him to be our guide on this, this, previously unseen you know underground dc espionage world that you know was sort of colorful and bright and crazy and not that realistic but you know we get to make fun of a lot of tropes while also expanding upon these corners that were sort of unlit 
Did you ever get to like uh, hear cool spy stories from Tom? I mean, not not specific stories. <laughs> if he if he if he heard them, he'd be dead. Clearly, yeah, exactly. like that's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah, I mean, he had to get clearance to to you know to even deal with certain aspects of stories. Wow. But one of the things we said very early is like, well, let's not worry about making it real. Let's as far as the details, but we just want to make it feel real. Like we wanted. One of the things I think we incorporated that that Tom had in his pitch, and then we really wrote into the book was, what is it like to be out on in the cold? You know, like um, Tom knew what it was like to be stationed somewhere and not be able to tell your friends and family where you were, and not be able to share any of your work or ask questions about it, um, because you know it's super important and super secretive. So I think we incorporated a lot of the feeling of what it's like to be a spy, without incorporating real world you know stories yeah it's it and and stuff that he wouldn't be able to talk about or just wouldn't work for the kind of book we were making um but you know i, I think there's some very specific issues in there where you can see and and you feel like one of the things that, that tom said was you know you're somewhere where no one can know where you are you can't call anybody and you're sort of wondering if you'll ever see your family again, if you'll ever be able to call them again, and what will happen if you die, who's going to tell them, and how are they, what are they going to tell them, you know? And I think that's something that we really, we picked up with that character. That's awesome, man. Um, so I think I'm going to move into the segment that you're not ready for the fandom level of, but <laughs> you got to write a sequel to The Lost Boys. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What indeed? What uh? How did you come Cry, up with? <laughs> little sister. No. <laughs> okay. Stop. Uh, <laughs> how did you uh come up with that pitch? Like, and or, did you have the pitch and take it to Vertigo, or did they approach you about it, or or uh, what went into it? Uh, that's another one of those weird how comic things work. But um, I was finishing up a book for Vertigo called Effigy, uh, and it had it just for some reason it never really hit. It wasn't, wasn't super successful. I think it was kind of too weird. But I was sitting with the editor, uh, Jamie Rich, at a bar in Los Angeles for um, WonderCon, I believe. And he was just saying like that, that DC had been offered from Warner Brothers a number of possible licenses based on movies. Um, and he didn't know what to do with them. He wasn't sure what, what they should be. And he just rattled off the list. And he said, Lost Boys. like, oh, my God, you have to let me write Lost Boys. It's my, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Um and uh, so I came up with this idea, which was, you know, the sexy sex play- player guy? Oh, we all know. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that was like literally the pitch. I'm Remember honestly like yeah. so genuinely grateful to you for making him like a real character. And okay, I think I have to tell you, Justin called me <laughs> to tell me to look at the solicitations when it was revealed that that was got like a name character and i and so like we're on the phone together and i flip to the page and he's like you're going to you're going to shit man when you see what the character's name is and i'm like oh i don't know what what, what do you mean like what is that what how could it possibly be a thing i recognize it's not a character that is any established and then of course how could it not have occurred to me the believer <laughs> oh lord you've no idea how happy we were we had a conversation about this issue before it even came out we're just like how excited we were, and <laughs> yeah. it did not disappoint. I mean, I mean, the the thing I think about that the first film is it's so 
unique and it has such a strange um it, I, it, it's because largely because it was made a lot like Grayson. I mean, it was Joel Schumacher came into that movie late, and it was a script about little kids, and they turned it into teenagers, and it's just a, a weird, you know, the way it came together was so strange. You can feel it when you watch the movie. It's, it's got, it doesn't feel like anything else. But, uh, you know, the other sequels I've always kind of felt were, they didn't get the feeling of it. They sort of, I mean, there's two sequels. They're, they're all right. The third one is better than the second one, but they're sort of... Everybody says that, and I'm fascinated as to why. Like, I, I don't necessarily want to steer this away from talking about the book, but everybody seems to prefer that third movie, and other than like both of the Frog Brothers being in it, I just can't see any reason why. Well, I mean, but the second one, they tried to tie it. They kind of make a remake of the first one, and they kind of tried to tie it to the... I mean, it's kind of implied that these kids are the son and daughter of Michael and, and Star or something, and they get killed in a car accident. So it's just like, it doesn't it doesn't have a thematic through line. It's just sort of a I guess that makes late sense. 90s remake or whatever. It just feels, I don't know. I, it doesn't capture any of the magic. I think, you know, it's that thing where Lost Boys sort of created, in a weird way, the genre that Buffy picked up on. And, and you know, so many films borrowed from what Lost Boys started. And, you know, Vampire Masquerade game and all that sort of... Yeah. You know, vampires much. just these gritty punk rock dudes. Like, that was really created by that thing. And and I think by the time you get to those sequels, they don't have... They just feel derivative of something that, you know, was unique, I think. Um, that makes sense. But I, kinda, yeah, but I kind of felt like you had to go back and pick up what was unique about the the first one, which to me is that, you know, it's really about these... Every character in there is sort of for their age discovering something new in life that kind of happens because you got to that age. So Sam and Frog Brothers are sort of discovering, you know, that they're independent and that they, they can go and do things without their, their parents and, and they're sort of not a, ready for it. It's this very Peter Pan kind of thing. They're, they sort of stumble into this, this world that exists that adults don't know about. Um, but I mean, for Michael, I think the story has always been, you know, it's very, it's totally, and that's a very Jules Schumacher thing. It's like this sort of sexual awakening, right? It's this sort of, um, you know, discovering this intimacy that can exist. And obviously they play it in a couple different ways with Star and with um, David. But like, so I thought we had to pick up on that. And, and like, that's what it has to be about. Um, but also we have to play with, I think, the best and weirdest elements of the thing. So you know, we, of course, find out that there's this whole bunch of vampire hunters in that town. It wasn't just Grandpa, but they get killed right away. And, you know, having the the boys having been sort of a um, encroaching tribe on what was this promised land for these female vampire gang, I thought, you know, that would give us a new version of the world with, with a bunch of different elements we hadn't seen before, but keeping the themes that I think were important. Yeah, so I was really curious about that specifically because, um, and I'm glad you brought up the sequels because I, because I, I did meet, like I wanted to ask if you just felt like for the story that it made more sense to pick up immediately after the movie, which is something comics have the benefit of being able to do because you obviously don't have to worry about the age of the actors or anything, um, or if you were like trying to specifically get in under like the sequels and sort of, if not disregard them, not have to deal with them. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, there was a sequel, like, sort of in, we kind of sort of want to put this in production for a while, 
um, that was supposed to be called The Lost Girls. And I don't know if there's any real work that was put into it other than, hey, here's a title and a concept. But the um, like the title of uh, the that arc of The Lost Boys, uh, you know, comic book uh, is called The Lost Girl. So I wondered if you were specifically picking up on a story that, you know, almost made it to a movie or if that was just sort of a coincidence that you picked up on similar ideas. Um, I mean, I knew about, I knew about the, there's two, there's two different scripts at least that were made for, uh, Lost Boys that never went into production. There's the Eric the Red one, and then there's the Joel Schumacher outline with, uh, the Lost Girls, which, um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew about that stuff and I kind of felt like, you know, we should pick up on aspects of it that weren't made. Um, I never read Joel Schumacher's treatment. I heard about it. I know what he kind of, what he roughly wanted to do. Um, and it totally made sense to like our, instead of making it, you know, about a new gang and it make being, you know, another temptation of Sam or Michael, I thought it should be, let's use that to talk about star. We don't know anything about star. You know, why is she there? What was her mission? So the, she's the, in this story, the lost girl, right? She's this runaway who, um, who has some connection to, uh, this other group that we didn't see explored in the movie. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, definitely I'm totally good with picking up those little sort of things and making at least a overt nod to it or, or just totally. an homage. It's just cool know. to see that followed up on, you know, after so many years and then kind of finally sort of getting that other movie, but not in any way that was ever really like what was, pl- well, I guess it was a plan at some point cause that's the one that came out, but yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's, there's a, a lot of that happening in comics right now where people are going back to old TV shows and cartoons and stuff and sort of picking up and going, well, there's no reason we can't continue this in comics. Comics can do pretty much anything. Um, and there's, there's really no example of that, that I was like more excited to see than the lost boys, just because like you said, um, there's so much that sort of came out of it, but that initial world we see a, like a really small slice of, it. I mean, it's even like, that's kind of the gag, right? Is that at the end of the movie, the grandpa's like, Oh, I knew about this shit the whole time because what you've seen of this world is so minor. And now the movie's over and we ended on a joke and you feel really surprised. And I hope you had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that it goes back to that, that sort of central theme is that these kids are sort of stumbling into the adult world and finding out these things that no one could explain to them. And then you see that played out at the end with grandpa of course he knows all about this this is you know it's just these kids are coming to this new town and they're seeing the world that grandpa lives in you know um but i think there's a lot of tendency too for you know to to expand on lost boys and i think everyone everyone else who's ever worked on you know whether it was like there there was a proposed tv show and there was all these sort of things is there's an instant uh impulse to go and do let's see the rest of this world, but let's go back hundred years in the past or let's go, you know, let's give the origin of, of these vampires and, and, or let's see some other town or whatever. It's like, yeah, but I kind of just care about those characters in that world. That's, that's what interests me most. I think, you know, adding too many yeah. new people to yeah. it, you take away a little bit of the magic. I think the world is super interesting, but I mean, I've, I've read a billion vampire comics and, mo- and books and seen a billion vampire movies. So, 
the world I've already seen. I mean, people pick that up to make. Well, and in a lot of ways, you, know, you do like as far as like the rules of the the physics of the world, like and how vampirism works. It, it it one of the things I love so much about the Lost Boys is for how like bold and garish it is. It just is absolutely committed to ridiculous like vampire folklore. Uh, yeah, like all the crazy Hollywood rules more or less apply, and that's such an interesting like uh challenge for them to have given themselves to also tell a story that felt modern and so like returning to it you don't really have to define or explain anything to the reader as far as how vampires like where where we get it um and so it is cool to 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 pick up with the characters rather than just kind of like showing somebody else with a monster face I'm not gonna lie though. I kind of want to see the Finding Grandpa like prequel, like where he's a young strapping man and he's out, you know, busting supernatural heads. That'd be cool. Yeah, like have it take place in the '60s or something. Or oh yeah, like, yeah, make yeah. it a period piece. Oh, the, well, the one thing too that you did sneak into the, um, I, I guess the world building aspect is uh, in that that one meeting where we 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 go out, oh, we see oh, there's this whole vampire hunting community. Um, right before you know the sort of catalyst for the plot is and now they're gone uh they they mentioned there's like a maybe a mummy that we have to deal with now and it's like oh fuck awesome how many like you know crazy hollywood tropes like exist in the background of this world yeah i mean that was one of the things in the original movie too was that the frog brothers implied that they thought there was a werewolf uh in city hall like there was obviously other stuff besides vampires or at least in their mind, you know, which yeah. they could have just been crazy, but um, yeah, I think that that's kind of one of the best things about that world is that they hint at stuff that they never follow through on, you know, uh, and it's kind of it, they make it just it's just funny, you know. Well, you definitely caught that with the believer. I love that so much, man. What? Uh, how did you decide to focus in on that character and make him a character? Clearly, he still believed Justin. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I just thought. I mean, there's so much. Que- there's so many questions to ask about that character. <laughs> that, like, because it doesn't really make sense. I mean, the, the way the movie was made was just that you know, Joel Schumacher shot music videos and knew Tina Turner and all this sort of stuff. And Tim Capello was a studio musician and a concert musician, and he just happens to look kind of amazing. And, but. <laughs> But then in the movie, like, they're at a punk show on the beach, and there's a guy with a saxophone singing, you know, this song by, uh, I can't remember the name of the band, but it, it's a California band that's a cover. Uh, it, it's not a very punk song, really. I mean, it's just, it's some sort of, I guess, it, the, the kind of music didn't exist then, but it kind of is like yacht rock, I guess. Yeah. In a weird way, it feels very, like, dad rock sort of thing, and yet it's played with this punk band. Uh, it's really weird, and it just makes no sense like why is he dressed like that why is you know um so how does that that much oil exist in the world yeah so i mean it just became an exercise of let's answer the questions i have because i'm very confused (laughs) and um so you know the idea that he's oiled up because it's oil uh it's, it's a consecrated chrism that you know offends off vampires because it's holy oil and stuff like it's just stuff you could add that is hilarious details that really make sense for the world too um and then of course he's a religious guy like you know he's but he's like he's like a religious guy in the way that he's like my body's a temple and i have to work out and do push-ups every day so i just <laughs> rippling abs you know like <laughs> um 
But it, yeah, it totally made sense to me that what that guy was and why he was there. Once we started, you know, asking those questions, and I mean, obviously when they made the movie, they weren't they weren't thinking that. It's just totally. You know, Joel, Joel Schumacher likes shiny oiled muscles. I mean, that's that's why that guy is there, and he's a great he's a great sax player. I like you know? that as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I and so yeah, it's just kind of a funny thing to get to pick up on, but and having him sort of be this father figure in a way to to Sam because obviously there's one of the themes of that story is where where are the fathers right I mean where where are these these boys sort of let loose to run wild you know I mean like making him then this attempted father figure makes so much sense as far as the theme goes I've always just found that scene to be such great atmosphere because it is so pacing wise there's a lot of moments in that movie that are i think deliberately or if not deliberately just sort of serendipitously disorienting uh and that's a scene where it's like very slow and wistful and surreal and there is this thing that's happening that doesn't really fit but it fits in the sense that nothing fits because that movie is such a smorgasbord and i never had a problem with it but now in the same way i think that people you know they read like a star wars like they read kieran gillen's darth vader and then they watch Empire, and they're like, oh, man, there's so much implied drama and failure in the Emperor now sending Vader to go get Luke Skywalker. And that's how I feel when I watch The Lost Boys now. I see that scene, and I'm like, this is not just atmosphere. There's so much more happening here. <laughs> and the fact that we linger on this character so uncomfortably long feels right now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's, if that's all we did, we did something. Like, <laughs> yes, mission accomplished. So um, I guess uh, one of your biggest books that we haven't brought up yet would be uh, Hack Slash. Um, what's uh, what's the origin behind by, behind that book? Oh man, well I mean, the, it's the basic origin is I grew up watching like B movies and slash movies like way too much because my dad was a big fan of um, horror movies and sort of trash cinema. Still is. Uh, and when I first started Tales Do, my first job was working on G.I. Joe, which was a great first gig because, you know, I got to hitch my name to a property that at the time was, you know, really kicking ass on nostalgia and, and uh, it's a great property that I grew up with even, but there's lots of rules uh, behind it and, you know, there was I was in my early 20s and I'm being told I can't draw this, I can't do that and, and you know, there's all these concerns about making things too sexy or too violent or, or whatever. So basically, at some point, I got so frustrated, I just took the list. It's so funny to consider that Hasbro's rules for writing G.I. Joe are probably stricter than G.I. Joe's canonical rules for joining the Joes. (laughs) (laughs) There seems to be very little rules for joining the G.I. Joes besides, you know... You know, if you were in the Army or the Coast Guard or the NFL or... (laughs) Just have a cool name. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so they, I just took the rules that they gave us and said, I'm going to make a comic book and break all the rules that Hasbro gave us. And it just <laughs> never, it sort of worked out um, that, you know, I had this rough idea for doing something set in a world where all slasher movies were connected. That was the rough idea. And then Cassie came out of that because she's someone who lived in that world. And then I wanted to give her a partner. Vlad kind of became like, what if Jason wasn't a jerk? And, yeah. Uh, or yeah, and so yeah, we kind of got. It's weird. It, it came together quickly. There's a whole universe that she lives in, but you can really focus on Cassie and her relationship with Vlad and get you know a lot of story out of it. So 
Um, I honestly love that Vlad character so much. Um, Cassie, I think, is a character a lot of people latch on to. She's like a a strong uh, figure of that kind of like, uh, you know, anti the last girl scream queen horror movie character where she's like, you know, sort of taking the fight to the to the killers and everything. But I just I think it's I think it's in the first arc of Hackslash. There's this moment where this dude that looks like fucking Jason Voorhees and kind of talks like you would expect like a big dumb soulless killing machine to talk like goes into a coffee shop and is like having problems accessing the Wi-Fi. <laughs> For totally innocent reasons that he just needs to be, he needs to get through his day, but he can't step away from the fact that he looks like a fucking monster. Uh, yeah. And it's like such a weird, charming moment. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that character, you know, it, it's certainly born out of this, like, when I was a kid loving the monster hero, like the, you know, the Toxic Avenger and the um, Hulk and, and, you know, Frankenstein in, in the Monster Squad movies, like loving those kind of lumbering monster heroes, but then because it was Hackslash, it had to be, you know, had to be about this world where the monsters are primarily um, supernatural slasher guys. So, you know, Vlad keeps getting mistaken for those because he looks like he should have his own slasher movie series. Totally. And I like that as the the characters sort of build more of a family around themselves, like that just gets worse and worse. Like they they get this dog, but it's like this horrible, disgusting fucking monster dog. <laughs> yeah, it basically turns into Scooby Doo, right? I mean it's like the <laughs> like they have this sort of sexually frustrated hairless alien dog that Elvis used to own and you know, whatever just like weird shit we could come up with to make it feel like really lived in, but really strange, and that was kind of the whole Hackslash formula. Which, yeah, the fact that people like that book always surprises me. Because it's the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever done, but um, but it's definitely like you know, I guess that's the one I'll. I'm 40 at this point. I did that book started it 15 years ago, maybe longer, right? Yeah, 16 years ago, and yeah, it's still like the thing I think people usually remember me from. So I guess that's how it's going to be. <laughs> So this may be difficult to sum up, but I'm curious because you talk about, um, you know, creating that book as a world where all the kind of horror movie stories um, and and murders and everything all have occurred in the same world. uh, And also just a book where you can do all these crazy weird things, um, no rules. Um, So how does it feel then to see that those characters go on and cross over with Chucky and Army of Darkness and um, there's a a Vampirella crossover coming up. So, like, it truly is a world that's occupied by these characters now. You you created it as a reference to that, but it's it's no longer on the outside. Like, it's been fully embraced. Yeah, I I mean, I think because the first one we did was the Chucky one, but it was just satisfying to see how well it fit together that you could really actually have to drop in these well-known properties and make it work and it was just easy i mean cassie and chucky easily work in the same world and i think you know i'd been waiting to do the ash one for probably years but by the time we got to do it um but you know there, there was always a reason for them to exist in the same place and and then there was always a way to do their personalities you know i think i think cassie and chucky we made for a really interesting combination and then Cassie and Ash I think was probably my favorite hack slash story we've done. Um 
but yeah, it's great that somehow if you set up the rules the right way, then you know you can give re- reasons for these people to be together and also conflict for them to not be together, and then you get really good story stuff out of it. Yeah, I really appreciated the way that you uh, that you wrote Ash. I think that he is so like so many people have have grown up with army of darkness as like an evil dead 2 and and obviously the first one but particularly evil dead 2 and army of darkness as these like coming of age moments where people witnessed like how weird and fun movies could be and attached to that is this character that they then can't bring themselves to make quite enough of an asshole for my taste and like you did not have that problem <laughs> Well, he's a man child, right? I mean, he's. Yeah. That's kind of what Life's I want fair. to play with in yeah. this. Cassie's more mature than him. She, you know, she's like 15 years younger than him or 20 years younger than him, but he's the one that can't. He can't function, really. I mean, she, she has no family, no parents, and she, by design, has had to make this work. Uh, and Ash is just sort of this bumbling idiot who <laughs> is so self. He's so self-centered that he, you know, he causes his own problems and then has to be the hero of the terrible thing that he did. Yeah. Which is, you know, I think that's when you get that character perfect. And they did in that, you know, we did the crossover before that new Ash TV show came out, but they did a great job of that's exactly it. Ash keeps making his own problems. And mm-hmm. then, he, then he turns around and tries to save the world from what he did. Yeah. Which is a great... It's a, I mean... That means that character gives you so much story because he's always going to do that, you know? Like, his own arrogance and his own self-interest makes it so that he generates his own story, which is awesome. And somehow he pulls it off. Yeah. He does yeah, save like, the day. The character yeah. seems to grow, but he, like, grows... He grows like an ingrown hair, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's <laughs> never going to stop making... He's, like, he's going to get a lot better at being the faux hero that can solve his own problems and actually be like brave and, and, and daring, but he's never going to stop making these horrible, selfish, short-sighted decisions. Right. Which is great. Yeah. He is what he is. He's yeah. And I think, you know, with, with hack slash being about a character who does have to grow, but who's, I think problems are sort of the opposite. I mean, she's kind of her own, she's, she's kind of eternally pushing herself towards being, you know, away from people and, and wanting to just run away and, and because she thinks that she might be a monster like the, like the things she fights, you know, makes her totally different from Ash who keeps bringing people into his world so that he has someone to defend from himself. <laughs> so it's like a, it's a pretty good, you know, it made, I think it made for a really good um, crossover and it's, it's definitely probably my favorite of all the things that we did. Nice. Um, our time is nearing its end, and I can't for the life of me remember for sure. But did you have you have a new image book coming out as well? A Vertigo book coming out. A Vertigo. Uh, yeah, it's called Imaginary Fiends. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's kind of me returning to my kind of hack slash kind of roots, where this is a girl and her partner um, tasked with finding monsters. But in this case, uh, it's a girl has this imaginary friend named Polly Peach Pit, and they hunt down other um, imaginary friends who manipulate people into co- committing crimes. And it's kind of inspired by the real-life Slenderman a, a case in Wisconsin and inspired, you know, in part by that idea of um, 
you know, that, that people are having more and more trouble figuring out what's real. Uh, and so that's kind of what the book is about. So, um, it's wow, a that's awesome. pretty, pretty yeah. hard horror story, um, with some kind of hack slashy fun weirdness in it because all of imaginary friends, of course, are, they were named by children, right? They're created by children. So they're all really strange. The main character, uh, is named Polly Peach Pit and she's this giant monster spider woman. It's really creepy. And, uh, there's a guy in there named Charlie Chokecherry and, uh, <laughs> There's Marshall Locke, uh, who's like a cowboy um, Loch Ness monster. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, yes! But like, but it's scary too. I mean, it has that sort of childish creation in it, but it's also a very creepy story. Kids are terrifying. Yeah, they come up with horrible, horrible things, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's kind of what it's about. I think it's it's the artist is Steve Molnar. It's a. Uh, I think it's it's going to be pretty awesome. That's cool. When does that one come out? Uh, November, so it's so, right after Halloween, and the, that's about the same time as uh, Brilliant Trash comes out, right? Yep, that's yeah, awesome. Got, my schedule is monstrous, but I'm gonna make it work. So <laughs> awesome, man! Well, uh, we won't keep you any longer from uh, going and getting some breakfast. Uh, we appreciate your time, and yeah, thank uh, you sure. for taking time out of your monstrous schedule to talk to us. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, um, do you, would you like to plug social media or websites or any other books sure. or anything? Um, I'm on, the thing I use the most is Twitter, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, I'm Hacking Tim Seeley on Twitter. Um, I'm also on, I use my, I have a creative website, timseeleycreative.com, um, timseeleyart.blogspot.com, and I'm on DeviantArt as well under Colt Noble. Um, I have a book coming out this week. Uh, speaking of Colt Noble, called the Action Figure Collection, and it's all my sort of weird, crazy uh, sci-fi action ideas, like um, Colt Noble and the Mega Lords and Jack Kraken and the Super Beasts and a bunch of other colorful, crazy stuff. It's all collected in one nice fat book. Nice. Very cool. Well, uh, again, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate your time, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll talk to you again in the future. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, that was awesome. That was very cool. And I, uh, I'm gonna plug as well on his behalf because he mentioned it earlier as a book uh, that didn't necessarily do well because he said it was too weird, uh, and I didn't necessarily want to like bring it up and ask him to describe it in case you know that was a thing that it was sore about. But I'm gonna say it should have done better because it's a good book. So effigy, I'm kind of out of a loss to describe it, but go to your local comic book store, see if they have a copy, flip through it, see. If you're into it, if you like Seely's writing, if you like Revival, if you like Hackslash, those are very different books, but if you like either one, like I would say definitely check out Effigy. Uh, it's definitely a book you'll know by the end of the first issue if you're like really into or really, really very much not into, hmm. but it's super weird and cool. Awesome. Yeah, I guess uh, the talent has left the building, so we won't keep you guys uh, much longer. I'm also smelling bacon, so I'm like, ooh. I know, I'm, I'm really like I haven't wanted to like bring it up to ask if that's like your neighbor or that's downstairs that's probably right downstairs so oh. um we're not gonna yeah. assume we're eating justin's food it that's is, not it not is. assuming that's why i was beginning to ask justin's but trying to be professional right now today is in fact ashley's birthday what happy birthday yeah and yesterday was cameron's birthday what? in a way it kind of still is because i haven't slept <laughs> <laughs> holding on to it um well, then, you gotta love insomnia. Uh, mm-hmm. That 
Yeah, yeah. I well, I had the entire monthly order to do um, for for Diamond. Like today was the day I was going to get to do it because it's been so busy this month, like preparing for like the disaster that I thought the eclipse was going to be. Because mm. uh, we're lo- we're for listeners that may not know Central Oregon Comics Outreach Alliance, we're in uh, Bend, so we've got all the eclipse visitors. Um, yeah. But it hasn't been it hasn't been exactly what we prepared ourselves. I for. don't know. I wanted to punch some people at Target yeah. yesterday. <laughs> Um, that's just every Target visit. This, well, right, you know? yeah. what do you mean this Target doesn't have a bakery section? <laughs> She's like, what? I where is the bread? Where is the bakery? It's I need a really to get weird sensation made. to pull up to the Target and have virtually none of the license plates be Oregon. Oh yeah, no, because that's the thing is it hasn't been that busy out. But that's because every single person that actually lives here just stayed home. Because yeah. we scared ourselves with we, all the like, oh, there's going to be so many people in town. Mm-hmm. So just no one left. We yeah. have. I've, we've created our own Y2K in town. We uh, have. Where, you know, there's a, there's a, there was some gas shortages for a day or two because locals were buying too much fucking <laughs> yeah. gas. Well, and, everybody was like, nope, better stock up. Better yeah, exact, exactly. I went to, I filled up Tuesday, which is literally six days before the eclipse is expected to happen. And I was like, I'm just gonna fill my gas tank and whatever. And it took. I like how life. you say expect expected to happen. Like you're like, yeah, jury's still out. Yeah, we'll see if this <laughs> this eclipse thing. You know, I'm holding on that. You know, it's it's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but before it, people are expected to be here and all that, and uh, yeah, taking going Tuesday, six days before when there shouldn't be anyone in town. Still took me like fucking forty five minutes to really? go through the line. I was gonna say, where did you fill up? Fred Meyer. Fred Meyer. Yeah, they were out of gas on Wednesday. I believe um, it. Yeah, and then like just down the street. So on Wednesday, my boss, come, like one of my bosses comes in and she's like, okay, this station's out of gas. This station's out of gas. And I'm like, shit, I don't get paid till Friday. And I'm like, <laughs> I need to pick up groceries. People they are saying Costco is out of meat. Oh my God, I'm getting anxiety attacks. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? No. I'm going to go to the gas station on the west side of town because the tourists ain't going to be there. That's not along the main road. It took me like 15 minutes still, but like at least it wasn't 45 and they still had gas. Yeah. But now it's like dead everywhere. So I'm like, yeah, everybody shit, let's go do all the fun stuff. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. This little uh, like universe that our town has created for itself with right. You know, like I heard my buddy said that his wife went to Costco and like everybody was buying all the water. And I'm like, it's not which the, I we kept... have a goddamn faucet. I know, like you I have a faucet. I, here's the thing, Justin. That was me. I was like, do it like every day. I was like, Ashley, Ashley, we don't have any bottled water. We don't have any bottled water. <laughs> and you know, like we live in a residential area where all these people have yards and they're always running fucking sprinklers and shit. And I, I don't know how any of that works. I'm just like, is this our water? Are we gonna run out of this? I now under. I just I picture Cameron running to neighbors. Uh, lawns as they're being watered and he's like catching the sprinkler water <laughs> into like buckets and saving was, that and it filtering was, it and like it was close I had to take the bottle out of his hand but um he, that's how he showered this morning so it worked um, serve no uh yeah it's been it's been a little, little freaky but like honestly it's been totally fine yeah. and I yeah. don't know. We'll see. Maybe Today maybe the world will. I end. am excited to witness the eclipse. You know, once in a lifetime opportunity and all that. Um, I dig space and shit. Uh, <laughs> but there is this looming paranoia just because of the way that I operate as a person, where I'm like, okay, though there's an awful lot of smoke because we've had a lot of fires in this state in the last few weeks. 
And oh, 600 people were evacuated from sisters. also been a lot of spotty cloud coverage on and off for about a month. And I'm just like, oh, my God. If, like, the thousands, at like, at the very least, the thousands of people that came here specifically to witness this, like, 10-minute event at 9 in the morning, if it's not really that visible, like, there's going to be a riot. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I hope that that happens. I hope Ugh. that they came here here's the deal. and I can go now get the fuck out of my here's, town. Honestly, here's the deal. It's because they're all going to be in Madras at that time. And frankly, Madras could just burn to the ground. Oh, and I don't oh, think anybody in nice. Oregon would be disappointed about it. Like, I mean, it's not Lapine. Like, Lapine could literally have just, like, a giant dumpster fire and yeah. it'd be all right. Um, see, like... you're saying that, and I'm like, oh, Madras listeners, don't listen to her. And then you say Lapine, and I'm like, uh, Lapine listeners, why no. are you not actively lighting that godforsaken place on fire? <laughs> <laughs> Madras uh, isn't that bad. So, uh, but so as a result back... of, of all of that, uh, this man, and also the, the sort of way that the month is laid out and the orders being due a week earlier than I expected, I looked at the calendar and I was like, oh shit, my birthday is the only day that I have to order all the comics this month. And it's a really complicated month because there's all the Marvel legacy variant covers, lenticular things happening and all that. So, um, so I was like, okay. Like, my birthday's not that important to me. Like, I'm not... I don't unlock anything anymore. I'm 26 now. Uh, and, I mean, I didn't even spend a whole hour crying about it on all fours in the shower. So, that's, you know, a win. Um, I was like, what? Well, I'll just spend my birthday doing this. But then it came, and it was my birthday, and I didn't... Like, I wanted to go, like, eat pasta and, like, fucking play sub-zero on injustice uh and so that's what i kept doing <laughs> so then it was like midnight and i was like uh <laughs> okay this is what we're doing nice uh and as a result i'm just i'm just still awake uh and that's what brought you that whole segmented ramble bonus section of today's <laughs> episode so you're welcome i guess is really mm. what i'm trying to say totally uh so yeah circling back thanks tim seeley for coming on and uh, <laughs> all that awesome uh good stuff um thanks for listening if you've come this far uh you are a true fan and i don't know what's wrong drinking with- that go to the last round hello john carter that's, <laughs> that's what i'm gonna say because i'm i'm sure i'm sure he's still listening but i'm not sure anybody else is that's fine um so yes guys again talent is left we won't keep you any longer uh, but uh, we appreciate your time and Tim Seeley's as well. I'm Justin. I'm Cameron. I'm Ashley. And we'll see you guys next time.